In Revelation chapter number 13, aren't you glad to be here? Amen. And, uh, and, and you're com- are you coming back tonight? Well, that was weaker than the first one. That was a lot weaker than the first one, but hopefully you'll be back with us tonight. I want you to look at just a few verses of Scripture. Uh, last Sunday morning, we got through four verses in about two hours, so uh, this morning we're going to try to do a little bit better. Look at verse number five. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 13, verse five. It says, and there was given unto him a mouth. <laughs> uh, all you women should have said amen right there. Uh, it says, and there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, and look, and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given unto him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not, look at this, are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, uh, uh, excuse me, slain from the foundation of the world. <clears throat> Verse 9 and 10 are very important. The Bible says, If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. And here is the patience and faith of the saints. Pray with me. Lord, as we come to you, we thank you again. Lord, from uh, the opening prayer for Brother Craig, God asking you for your blessings, Lord, for your, uh, most of all, your presence. Lord, we thank you. We give you all praise for everything that you do for us. We thank you, Lord, for um, Sunday school. We thank you for children's church. And, Lord, the times where we get to just get into your word. And, Father, as I, you know my heart and you know what I've been praying all morning, it's that putting things together and rearranging words and putting stuff uh, in this place and in that place is absolutely nothing without the anointing and the unction of the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what we pray for. That's what we ask for. Lord, we ask that we not go away today with some kind of uh, what we would say is an earthly knowledge or wisdom, but we ask that we would go away today feeling your presence and your spirit, knowing within our hearts, Lord, that moves all the way into our minds, that, God, we have the assurity of the word of God, and we have that assurance, Lord, knowing that uh, we'll be with you and that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Lord, we ask you that everything that's said and done today would always, Lord, bring glory and honor to the Son, Jesus Christ, where it's in his name we ask it all together. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> this morning as we preach, Brother David also is out preaching in uh, uh, McCullough this morning, and uh, I'd ask that as the same time you pray for us, we preach, so you pray for them, and uh, pray for him as he's preaching, and uh, all of our preachers that we have, I'm glad that they get to go around and to go all these different places. But, you know, last Sunday we talked about this guy by the name of Antichrist. Um, we talked about him, and I don't like to really talk about him because he doesn't deserve, as we said last Sunday, any praise. He doesn't deserve any glory. Uh, he gloats instead of glory, amen, and uh, we glory, and the Bible says, like Paul, if we do glory, we glory in our infirmities that the power of God may rest upon us. If we glory in anything, it's our inabilities and God's great ability, amen. If we glory about anything, it's uh, our just uh, uh, feebleness and uh, uh, being fallible and God being infallible, but in this scripture, we have to deal with this person called the Antichrist. You have to get to this point. Uh, our whole world is leading up to this 
kind of idea that someone's going to come in and save the day. Um, and someone, big hero, is going to come in and try to answer all of our problems. We look at it in Democratic. We look at it in Republican parties. We look at it in uh, even independent parties. We look at it across the world. But there are people all over, nations and different tongues of people and different tribes of people that are actually trying to build their own kind of system of this person's going to rule and they would do better. Even in our monetary systems, uh, you may know that even now we're in the process of working on a uh, four-world monetary system that then actually leads into the uh, one monetary system. We have a thing now that they're trying to get together called the Amero, which would be the North Americans, um, and all the way from Canada, um, uh, us in the um, United States and Mexico, we would all have the same monetary means. And then they have the euro and all these other stuff. And they're trying to combine this because they think that it's actually beneficial. We have this stuff to where everyone goes, okay, what's the best thing today? Everyone today, especially society and generation today, thinks that the easiest way is actually the most beneficial way. But that's not always true. It's not always true. I'm telling you, it's not always about just trying to get it get by and just get through it all and with ease and all that. We don't really understand things unless we have to labor through them and understand how things were. That's why uh, you young people listen to me just for a second because I'd like to talk to you and uh, I don't want to offend you or make you mad or make you angry. But That's why we look at a generation that are above us. We look at the silver-haired generation. These are people that were laborers. These are people that worked. These are people that from even the ones that were slightly still here with us, maybe in the 70s, 80s, 90 years old, even all the way up to 100 years old. We met a man the other day at the Patriots Ball that was 100 years old. And in that generation, they were a group of people that when wartime came or to, to sacrifice life for a country or to sacrifice their even their comforts, uh, they were willing to do what? Not just men that would join in military and go overseas and fight an enemy that they could not see, but even here in the homeland that people also did the same thing. There were women that left uh, being homemakers and went into the businesses because the men were overseas. There was a generation of people that we talk about now that were losing them, and they were hardworking people. They were people that, listen, before the uh, what we would call a ditch witch today, that's not a dirty word, but a ditch witch today that actually digs the ditches, there were people that had shovels that did those things. Now, this is what is great about it is that when I talk to that generation of people, they say, back in my day, we dug it with a shovel. And I go, well, man, I'm so sorry that you had to dig it with a shovel. Um, I'm renting a machine, and I'm going to dig it, right? And and I'm going to be able to move by the end of the day. But sometimes they'll always tell you that you have to have the shovel around, even when you have those machinery. Uh, When we first started working together, my dad and I, uh, I worked with my dad ever since I was a little bitty. I mean, I I was young and I built things. Uh, I I would build bathrooms. I built porta-potties basically for the job site. Uh, That was my great role. And sweep up the sawdust. And I never could cut boards. And one day I was promoted to board cutting. And then I thought I was really getting ahead of the game until, uh, man, it just, it stunk. It was horrible sometimes working outside like that. But me and my dad, started working together again probably maybe 20 years ago and uh uh, we were putting windows and doors in and stuff. We were framing up. And then I, was, I had my, my nail gun, and it was called a pass load. And that thing, you could put these butane cartridges in it, and it had a battery, and it would fill that cell up with just enough to where you could shoot a nail without having a lot. Dad would go, you want me to nail that in, buddy? And he'd bring a nail out of his pouch and have that hammer. And I was like, we don't do that anymore. We don't need that. And he was like, what do you mean we don't need that? I said, we don't need Moses anymore. Moses has died, 
Okay? Joshua is now bringing us into the land of Canaan, the land of rest, and his last name was Joshua Passload. And I would shoot that nail into that frame, and it would go boom and shoot in there, you know. But whenever that thing began to die, it would only sink them, and they would be left out about that. And I would go, hey, nail sticking out. And he would go, oh. And he'd reach over on his side and go, you need Moses, do you? Uh, with that hammer, he's like, you can't ever forget about old Moses. And I said, just drive that nail in the wall and keep going. The easy way out is not always the best way. That generation of people were people like my granddad that never signed up and enlisted in military but volunteered his time to go to Guam during the war in order to repair sheet metal that were on airplanes that were all battered up and messed up but never got an award for it, never got a a uniform for it, never got a, a medal for it or anything. And, and you look at that, it's the easy way. And it'd be easy for me this morning to go, you know what, let's just skip over chapter 13 and we need to skip over chapter 17 of Revelation and not talk about the Antichrist because he's the big bad you know, boogeyman and we don't want to hear about all that stuff. But you have to know these things. Because the world today and our society today is really primed for this person to come on the scene and actually just to deceive a lot of people. And a lot of folks today, we're going to learn about three things, but a lot of folks today think that God is actually doing all this and somehow God is working with Satan or with the Antichrist in order to accomplish his plan and that God actually needs Satan to do these things. God does not need Satan to accomplish his will. God does not need Satan to bring all of the judgment God is actually giving people what they've always worked for and worked toward and who they worship God is giving them that in these scriptures this morning I want to talk to you about just really three things I know some of you are going good because you'll never make it to six ever again uh, but look at this right here in verse number five the Bible talks that God it says in the scripture that this antichrist this false God was given what a mouth of maliciousness he was given a mouth. And I want you to look at that word with me just for a moment in verse number 5. Look at what it says. It says that there was given unto him a mouth. Now, we could look at that scripture and we could, okay, Brother Steve, well, some translations may even say it like this, that he was allowed to do these things. Some people would say he was given a mouth as though God, Brother Carl, stepped back and allowed Satan to kind of speak for his own. I don't believe that that's what the scripture is actually showing us. We left off last Sunday by looking at verse number four and understood in verse number three that the world wondered after the Antichrist. In verse four it says, and they worship the dragon because of the Antichrist. So you have this Antichrist or Antichrist that, that, that's portraying himself as being the best and being the Messiah coming on the scene. And what did Jesus say about himself? He said, if you knew me, you know the Father. If you've known the Father, then you know me because why? I do the work of my father and whatever Jesus did he said what was it for it was for the glory of the father all the time now here's Satan mimicking and copying that same thing and the Antichrist is bringing glory to Satan to the dragon so everyone in the world is looking at the Antichrist because he has the wound as he has been slain but yet he has come up out of the abyss of the bottomless pit and it looks like he's had a resurrection because he's copycatting what Jesus has already done and now as he stands there what is he doing the dragon is getting all the worship for it why because it says 
says the dragon was the one that gave the Antichrist the power. Same way that the Bible teaches us that Jesus prayed and he said, Lord, he said, Father, let me have that glory that I had with you from the beginning. Let me have that love and let others experience that love that I had with you from the foundation of the world. Let me have all of that. So Satan is mimicking all this stuff. But when you look at the scripture and it says there was given unto him a mouth, it doesn't mean that God said, okay, Satan, you can do whatever you want. That's not how God operates. God does not allow Satan to do whatever he wants. Even in the book of Job, God told Satan, listen, he said, have you tried my servant Job? And he says, I can't, you've got a hedge around him. He said, you can do whatever, but you can't touch him. See, God never just gives Satan free reign to go out and do what he wants. Even in the scripture today, we're going to learn, look at that last part of the scripture. It says that he was only given power to do what? To continue for 42 months. Actually, we know he was already here for 42 months, three and a half years already, but he's actually going out in power and in ruling what? For these last 42 months or these three and a half years. But what I believe in looking at the scriptures is that the mouth that was given unto him was by the ears that were listening to him. You understand what I'm saying is that God didn't say you can do whatever you want, but it says the people were wondering after this man. And it says, and the people were worshiping Satan because of this man. And because this was happening, now Satan seems to have like this seat or this throne or this position of power. And so now because he is speaking, all the people have given ear unto what? The mouth that they're allowing him to speak. It's just like this. You've, dro- you've driven down through. Uh, the rural roads of Alabama and uh, church signs. You know what I mean? You see all these church signs. You, you, you see this stuff on there. Some of them, you should just keep going and not even read them. But some of them, you know, the one that I like the most is that if you give Satan one inch, what is it? He'll be your ruler. You know what I mean? That's what this scripture is intending, is that they were doing what? Wondering and worshiping the Antichrist and the beast, and now they're giving him a mouth to speak what? Great things and blasphemies to them. They're allowing him to do these things. You know, the Bible says that there's power in the fact of belief and in faith. You say the fact of it all, absolutely. We must believe that he is. And Hebrew says that when we believe that he is, he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Amen. Do you know that the Bible says, and listen to me before you turn me off, before you get up and leave on me this morning, but did you know that the Bible says that there was a time, Brother Mitch, that Jesus could not do a miracle that he could not work? People go, well, wait now, just a minute. He's God. He can do whatever he wants to. But the Bible says in Mark chapter number 6 and verse number 5, it says, And Jesus could do there no mighty work, save that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about in the villages teaching. The Bible says as he went into certain places that he actually could not do any of the miracles and not do great works there. And people go, okay, Brother Steve, does that mean that all of the miracle-working power and all of the faith and all of that depended on the people themselves and therefore God really can't work unless we drum up some kind of faith and we have some kind of power so God can't do that. It's not what it's implying. What it means is, is that you're never going to go to him and ask of a miracle or to receive a miracle miracle unless you believe that he is a son of God, unless you believe that he is God that sent his son to die for our sins, unless you believe that he has the power. So what happens is, is our faith is giving God, what, full surrender to Lord whatever your plan is. Even Jesus knew in the Garden of Gethsemane, church, even Jesus knew what? He said, if this cup 
this bitter cup of God's wrath is what that cup had inside of it. If it's able to pass from me, then let it pass. In other words, if I could do anything else to get this out of my side and not drink this bitter cup of God's wrath, then let it be that. But what did Jesus say? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What did the son do? He surrendered to the father's will. And that is what these people are doing with this Antichrist. They're giving him this mouth to speak. What they've done is, is they're saying, we've surrendered our ears, and now we're allowing you to fill us up with what you have to say. Right? Listen, if you allow Satan one inch, he'll be a ruler. If you allow him to whisper in your ear those things of temptation, those things of sinfulness, those things that are going to hold you in captivity, you are going to allow it to go into the ear and sink down into the heart until it actually goes to hands and feet and you actually commit that very temptation as a sin. you got to be careful. You've got to watch yourself. That's why the Bible says to flee from evil. The Bible says to even get away from the presence of evil, to remove yourself, to eschew yourself, to eschew the devil, to flee from him, and to get away. Look at what verse 5 says. It says it was given to him. Look at the things that he spoke. It said great things and blasphemy. If you wanted to write there on your notes, I don't have time to do it this morning, but you could also write Daniel chapter number 7 and go back and read about this very thing. In Daniel chapter number 7, it talked about that, that last kingdom of that Antichrist that he comes in and that he would be speaking great things. It would be things of evil. We know that the Bible says that Jesus spoke great things. You know what some of my favorite scriptures are? Are you with me this morning? You know what some of my favorite scriptures are? And you're probably going to say, well, all of them, Brother Steve, you say that before every one of them. Some of my favorite scriptures are when it says that Jesus had authority when he spoke. Know why? Because you break down the word authority, you'll understand that author is in that because it is that root word and it means that he is the author of the book. He is the author of all creation. And so therefore the author knows more about everything that was created than we could understand about it. Amen. And what they say is, is those people were amazed. They said they heard the scribes. They said they heard the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees were religious leaders that actually walked around with blue tassels on the end of their garments on each corner. One, two on the front and Two on the end, they would take a shell from the Mediterranean Sea and they would grind it up. And as they crushed it up, they would dip those long tassels in that bluish dye. And it meant that they were understood in the Word and understood in the Scriptures. And that's why they walked around and boast of all that. Even the people listened to the scribes, the ones that pinned down and rewrote and rewrote and rewrote. And they, they got to where they could write it and understand it all. But when Jesus spoke, all of those people that were even common people of the day, even when Jesus spoke, they said that he does not speak as a scribe or as a Pharisee. But when he speaks to us, he speaks with such authority of the word of God. It's like they've been introduced to the author of the book. And so when Jesus spoke, listen, the Bible even teaches us when Jesus spoke, winds ceased. The Bible says when Jesus spoke, it said that waves died down. The Bible says when Jesus spoke, demons fled and ran from his presence and entered into swine or into hogs, right? The Bible says that when Jesus spoke, withered hands were straightened out. Amen. The Bible says when Jesus spoke that a woman who was bowed over stood up straight. The Bible says that when Jesus spoke, people's fevers were reduced. The lame stood on their feet. Even the dead came out of their graves when Jesus spoke. And now you have this Antichrist that's coming out and he's speaking these great things. 
Can you see how he is counterfeiting everything Jesus is? Everything Jesus was, he is coming in and counterfeiting because he wants to speak such that then reflects all of that attention and worship to who? To the dragon, to Satan. Jesus was the one that spoke and Satan is the one that mocked it or copycatted it. Look, I want you to listen just for a moment. I want you to stop just and just think about this. We don't actually know when it says he spoke great things and blasphemies. We don't know And then he said that, and then he said this. So we can't speculate at that. There's no sense in us doing that. What the Bible does tell us, though, is not what he spoke, but it tells us how he spoke them and to whom they were addressed to. He tells us in the Scriptures how he said these things and to whom they were addressed to. First of all, he said it how? He said it in blasphemy. We understand that when he says it in blasphemy, that means that everything that the Antichrist speaks about the people that he's fixing to talk about, he does it in a rejecting, evil, and malicious mouth. He does it in an evil way. And when he speaks, everything he speaks is mockery. Everything he speaks is blasphemy. Everything he speaks, he is trying to get the people to reject the truth. Reject, as the Latin word veritas, to get away from having an understanding what truth is. And so he speaks how? Through blasphemy. But look at who he's speaking to. First one is this. The Bible says that he is speaking blasphemy against God. It not only says that he's speaking blasphemy against God, but he's speaking blasphemy to what? To the name of God. He is fulfilling what we understand in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. He is fulfilling this. He is actually, it's, it's almost, Randy, as if this Antichrist and Satan is just bubbling up and filling up so much that all of this stuff that it seems that Satan has tried to come against the people of God. He's tried to come against God himself in heaven, but we know that he's been kicked out, amen? Come on, somebody got to amen that part. Just a little bitty amen. He can't slander God to his face or before the throne anymore. It's over with. He did not prevail. But now we have him down on earth. He's been cast here and he's making war with the remnant of the seed of the woman. All of this stuff's going on, but he's blaspheming the name of God. He's going around and he's trying to turn the people's hearts away from God. He's trying to convince the people that God is not God and that he is God himself. That is the ultimate blasphemy. You know, a lot of people think that this has already taken place. You know, we talked about this past Wednesday. For those of you that come on Wednesday night, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. A lot of people are convinced that this has already taken place. They actually believe that these words right here that we're reading took place even before Jesus spoke Matthew chapter 24. How can that happen if Jesus was speaking about a time that would come, but yet it happened in 165 uh, B.C.? It can't be that way if he was speaking that it was coming. No, he would have spoken that these things have already come to pass and this stuff has already happened, but he was talking about it was coming in a day. He said it will be a day like never was before. Some people look back at Antiochus Epiphany. They actually look at him and they say, well, he's the one that stood in the temple during the, 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 
uh, Judas Maccabean revolt. And as he stood there in the temple of Israel before Jesus was ever born, that he said that he was God and he slaughtered a pig inside the temple. Therefore, since he slaughtered an unclean animal, he desecrated the temple and he declared that he was God and did all these things. I'm telling you now, Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth, the fifth, the 18th or the 22nd ain't got anything on the Antichrist when he comes and blasphemes the name of God. You say, well, why would he blaspheme the name of God? For the first three and a half years, for the first three and a half years, what did he do? He allowed the Jews to build the temple. He allowed them to build a place of worship unto God. It was not unto the devil. It was unto God. He allowed this stuff to go on. He brought in what? Riding a white horse, no bow. I mean, no no arrows, but only a bow. Offering peace with a victor's crown. Remember Stephanus' crown? That he offered all this stuff. But yet, when he shows his ugly head, when he finally is wounded unto death, and he fools everybody, and the two witnesses are preaching and saying that Jesus Christ Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, and he has them killed, and he consumes them, and their bodies are laying in the streets. After that is done, they will be ascended unto the Father, but yet the Antichrist is going to appear out of that sea as though he has had been killed, and now he's resurrected, and he's going to stand in the temple and go, it's over now. It's done, and I am God, and you will worship me. You think about this. This sounds like some kind of Stephen King novel. This, and I'm telling you something, and I know some of you have probably watched them and stuff, and some of the things on there are good, but you have to understand some of it is fictitious too, and people are adding to that. But even the Left Behind series by Tim LaHaye and all these others, those things which would be okay, you know, they're, but you've got to understand, you need to stay within Scripture to really understand the truth of it all. We can't make up a story. We can't li- really go in and go, okay, he had blue eyes and blue jeans, as the old country song says. You know what I mean? Uh, there's only one or two people that would understand that. The rest of y'all just talked to Craig or Donald after service. But listen, they were blaspheming the name. Look at the second thing the Bible says. Not only was this guy going to come in and he was going to blaspheme the name, but he was going to blaspheme his tabernacle. The Bible says that he would blaspheme the tabernacle. And you look at that and go, okay, what do you mean, Brother Steve? We haven't really heard about the tabernacle until the Old Testament times. You know what I mean? This is the days where, why why in the world did John write down the word tabernacle? Why did he put it in that way? The word is skene. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. I asked my son, Andrew, about it. I said, I'm trying to figure out how to help everybody remember the the Greek word skene. And he said, watch me whip and watch me skene. So y'all will never forget that word now like I will never forget that word. But uh, if y'all don't understand that, ask a kid in here. They know that one, okay? But... um, why? Think about it. Here's John on the Isle of Patmos. He's been banished out there. He's in prison uh, during the emperor uh, uh, between Nero and, and the mission, and he's out there on this island, and he's writing these things down. And as a Hebrew, as a Jew, we understand all those things about the tabernacle. Uh, as someone, that Jew, Gentile, or whoever, they look at the temple, the modern-day temple and stuff, and you go, man, why? Why, why did he choose this word, church? Because he was not just mocking. When he says mocking his tabernacle, he was not talking about some kind of earthly thing with made up of, of sheep or, or ram skins or, or goat skins or talking about something that had a manure and all that. When it talks about this church, he was blaspheming the name of God. Listen to something. He was blaspheming the Son. He was blaspheming Jesus. 
When it says that he was blaspheming the tabernacle, he was blaspheming Jesus. You say, how do you know that? John chapter 1, verse number 14 tells us, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. <clears throat> now, if you look at that, it's hard for us to see that because when we look in the English language, you know what, we got words that... Or they just kind of crazy words. I mean, we say country words. We really in the South mess up the English language, you know. But uh, but we've invented other kind of words. I'm not going to go on to all of them, you know, like like mayonnaise and stuff like that. Mayonnaise, a lot of people in here, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> if y'all don't laugh, I just keep going with them. <laughs> but uh, it, you, <laughs> why would you amen that? You, you look at this scripture and you go, okay, bro, see if I can't see it. Looking back at this verse, look with me. I'm going to go back. It says that he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God and to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And now we look at this and you go, how in the world could this ever go together? And the word of God was made flesh and dwelt among us. It's because the word dwelt is the exact same word over there in Revelation chapter number 13 as the word tabernacle. Those words are the same. And people say, well, why didn't they translate it in that way? It's the word skene. And it actually means that put on a covering, put on a tent. And that's what the Bible teaches us, church. What it teaches us about our lives, it teaches us that Jesus came and put upon himself, took upon himself the form of a servant. It says that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but what did he do? The Bible says that he endured the cross, the despising the shame and all of this stuff. But the Bible says he took upon himself the form of the servant. See, he's God's son, but he's God's son that was what? covered or tented or tabernacled in the flesh see the glory of god was not revealed as to who he was because why he was covered with this that's what the bible teaches about you and i the bible says that when we die it does not say ashes to ashes dust to dust and all this good stuff it, what it does tell us it says is that the body belongs to the dirt and it will go back into the dirt but the spirit belongs unto the lord who gave it in ecclesiastes what it teaches is yes that that simplicity of ashes to ashes and dust to dust and we quote these things but looking at it it tells us that god gave us a wonderful we are a creation of god created after the image of god and we know that god is not just wrapped up in god the father but god the father and the son and the holy spirit which would be god the spirit himself which would be the son which is the flesh which would be what else? The Holy Spirit, amen, which we are all wrapped up and created in that wonderful, beautiful image of him. And it says right here that the word of God, Jesus, was made flesh, and he tabernacled among us. It's the word that it means that he came down and dwelt with us, that he came down here and he made his camp with us, and he is there with us. That goes back to the other scripture that teaches us that it says that he was blaspheming God's name, but he was blaspheming, mocking, and rejecting that what? That God's son ever came and dwelt among us all. He was mocking his tabernacle, blaspheming his tabernacle. He was mocking that Jesus, God's son, would have ever even came and done anything. When he says these words, church, I want you to understand the maliciousness, the fullness of all that's being said here, okay? It wasn't that Satan's going around mocking a tent, and he wasn't mocking a temple, what he was doing when he did this, we don't know how he does it, but we know to who he's doing it to, right? 
What he's doing is, is he's mocking everything that the Bible says, Scripture says about Jesus leaving heaven and coming to earth, dwelling among people, redeeming their souls from the penalty of sin, being resurrected and ascending back to the Father. That's know that it's talking about it says that he was tabernacling among us listen i'm gonna go to the next thing i want to try to help you out just a little bit look he was blaspheming included in there and them that dwell in heaven them that dwell in heaven and you look at this scripture and you go well all right brother steve what does it all mean if you remember that word blaspheme his name and his tabernacle is the skene. Whip and skene, right? You remember? Which means that Jesus came to dwell and to be with us. Stay with me. This is very good. It's very important for you. He came to be with us. But then the last part of the scripture says this. That Satan also blasphemes those who dwell in heaven. Now that's not Satan walking around on the earth Jacob, and he's going, you know what? You're not going to heaven. You're not going to heaven. You're not going to heaven. You church people. You know why I know that? Because the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 4 that the church is raptured out of here. So we're already in Revelation chapter 13. So Satan's not walking around messing with the church saying, you're not going to go, and you're not going to go, making funny. No, the Bible says that he is mocking and blaspheming those, what? That dwell in heaven. And I also understand this, church. It doesn't mean that Satan is up there mocking them. Why? Because he can't go there anymore. He's been kicked out and he never can have re-entry into the throne room of God. Amen, right? He can't go back. So what does this mean when he says that he is mocking them that dwell in heaven? I know that that's what you're asking. And I'm so thankful that you are. I'm telling you, it's just about to just bust you wide open. You're not even going to be able to contain it. You know what it's meaning? See, the word skene is talking about that Jesus came to dwell with us, tabernacled with us. You know what that means? It means he sat down beside you, that he walked with you, that we have not a high priest that can't be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but at all points was tempted like you and I. What it means is, is that Jesus felt every ounce of pain on the cross. He felt every ounce of betrayal from the disciples. He felt every ounce of evil and vindictiveness that was thrown at him that the Bible says that they hurled insults at him in order to do what to crush not only Ross his body but to crush his spirit but it says that he did that because he wanted to come and to dwell in the tabernacle with you skene with you but then the other part of this word this word that moves and changes from skene to skeno because the Bible says right here and he's mom description you go okay lord uh, uh lord why did you put in one where you have skene is tabernacle but then this other one right here the word dwell brother steve just told us the word tabernacle means to dwell it does you can look it up okay or you can take my word for it but you can look it up well why did why did the translators choose to use another word why didn't they just say in them that tabernacle in heaven because it would have been the same but what it means is is when we get into skene okay skene means that Jesus came to be with us. Skeno means this, as that we have placed, we're not actually there in body yet, but we have placed our tabernacle, our hope in heaven. 
we've already got it over there. It's like the story about the little boy that's holding a string on a cloudy day and the man comes by and he says, son, what are you doing? He says, I'm flying a kite, sir. He says, how in the world? He said, I can't see a kite up there. How in the world do you even know that the kite is still up there? And he reached over and handed that man the string and he said, here, you feel this? And he said, yes. He said, it's still tugging? He said, yes. He said, I know it's still there. That's the same way this scripture is talking about. It says Satan the Antichrist is going to blaspheme the name of God. It says he's going to blaspheme Jesus and everything he did when he tabernacled among us. But he says he's going to blaspheme all those that who? He, they dwell in heaven. It's not talking about heaven's residence now, but it was talking about all of those people that are fixing to endure all of the tribulation. The people of the children of Israel, they're all on earth. But what they had determined in their minds and what they had determined in their hearts is that you can do whatever you want to to me. You could kill this body. You could put it in a grave. You can mock me. You can be but my citizenship, my home, and my dwelling is not here. But my tabernacle has been pitched over in heaven. And my anchor resides on the other side of all this. That's why, Brother David, you can come into a prayer room with a bunch of deacons. And you can talk about a 93-year-old woman. And your prayer request can be this way to a child of God or about a child of God. Instead of saying, oh, pray, we need a miracle. Oh, pray, we don't know what we're going to do. Oh, pray, we can't can't lose grandma you can come into a meeting and go pray with us deacons pray with us pastors my grandmother-in-law my grandmother lost grandmother is looking for a place to cross so you don't understand that but these people are not trying to shun heaven that's why the testimonies of the children of god get sweeter as their hair gets silver that's why they get better and better and better. And in our language today, it gets gooder and gooder and gooder. Why? Because their relationship to going to heaven gets closer. It gets closer, church. A man that had dialysis three days a week still would come by the church and work would stand up and testify and never would bring praise to himself, but he would bring praise to God all the time. I'll never forget some of his last testimonies as he sat right there where Brother Mitch is probably sitting or Ross and their family is sitting, and he was talking about getting closer to home, now more than ever wanting to go home. I'll never forget a woman who wore purple dresses and yellow dresses with flowers on her, and when she would speak, she was speaking with a deep voice of a woman and she would ask prayer and she would say brother see before I go to be with the Lord I want my kids to be saved I want my grandkids to be saved will you please pray for them brother Steve I'll never forget that I'll never forget sitting by her as she was fading away from her body being ill and she turned yellowish but she looked at me and mouth I love you go home to be with the Lord I'll never forget looking at a woman who was small little bitty woman small woman that asked me to come over get the guitar out of the closet that belonged to my husband she got the guitar we got the guitar out she said oh please sing for me brother Steve and I tried to tune the guitar up and I'd sit there and sing matching over the hilltop I've got a matching just over the hilltop did you know that the word skeno is actually a translation of the word matching it means that you have 
I'm telling you right now, you ought to get a little bit pumped up and be moved by the Holy Spirit of God. And I began to sing, and her body that was swollen from the waist down and her legs were this big around because of the cancer and because of the lymph nodes would not allow the water to move and to flow through her body. She raised her feeble hands, looked at me and Brother Edward and began to sing, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop, amen. Listen, I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, Listen, church, we've got a place. We've got a place. Now, you're trying to compare that place to some kind of mansion or some kind of tower, some kind of thing here earthly. I'm telling you right now, if it was a one-room shack for me, it would be better than anything that we could ever have here. You know why? Because my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he says, for we know that if our earthly house, well, looky there, of this tabernacle was dissolved. He says this tabernacle, if this earthly house, this skene is what he's talking about. Man, I'd love the word skene. Man, I I was telling Patty, we're going to get down to the skene today. The skene of it all, you know what I mean? The skinny of it all, the skene of it all. It says that we know if this house, our earthly tabernacle, were dissolved. <laughs> Y'all just ain't getting it. I'm telling you, you just ain't getting it. I'm telling you right now, my Pentecostal friends, body in this tabernacle is dissolved. We have a building of God. <laughs> says we have a building of God, a house, what, not made with hands, and it is an eternal home in the heavens. You know, a song says, in this world I don't have much in silver or gold. My house is just a cabin on the side of the road, but I've been adopted by a king's family. And when I get to my new home, look what's waiting for me. Listen, when this body is dissolved, when this skene is taken off, I have a skeno in heaven. When this is taken off, then I've got something greater. Paul understood it. He said in 2 Corinthians, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding weight of glory, eternal weight of glory. And these people in the tribulation that are holding on, I'm not going to be able to get through, but they're holding on. These people in the tribulation, he says, this compared to what is waiting is a lot affliction. It, it, he says, Paul says in another scripture, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time cannot be compared to the glory which shall be revealed. Paul says right here, this lot of affliction, which is just for a moment, but it's working for us, for what, Brother Mitch? A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It's got more clout to it. Hey, man, it's got more gumption to it. It's got more goodness to it. It's, got, it's a gumbo that's got more roux to it. Now you got me? Huh? It, 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 it's, a, it's a gravy that you don't just pour out on a biscuit, but you spread it out on a biscuit. Come on, some of you that don't understand that, you got to get that. Huh? That kind of gravy will help you last throughout the day. You got to get a spoon or a butter knife and spread it on a biscuit. You got something. You got something. That old watered down stuff that won't even hold up, it'd go right through a slice of bread. 
Listen, he says, this is, man, I'm trying trying to preach it. It is far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. You got something. If you've got a home in heaven, you've got something. If you've got a home in heaven, it will make you lay in a hospital bed and tell your family as you are leaving this walk of life in order to go into the eternal life, it will cause you, as I've seen people before, look at their family and go, do not miss me in heaven. Do not miss going with me in heaven. Amen. Listen, here's the second part. ...which are seen. But the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are just temporal. Just temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Max Lucado said this. He said, I refuse to let what would rot, you know, rule the eternal. You know what that means is I refuse to let these things that are temporary bind me down and rule me instead of the things that are eternal. We have more people that come to church worried about bills and about payments and about all this than something that is an eternal thing. We have more people that get angry and frustrated about a dent that they got in their car because someone slung a rock up in front of them than we do about someone's soul as they die and go to hell. We are. And I'm not saying that rude or or, or hateful in any way. I'm trying to tell you that's where our priorities are. And God's telling us today that we need to hang on. I'm not going to be able to finish, but I would like to find one scripture and just to read it to you out of this. I don't even know where it is. Don't even look at all this stuff. Don't just close your eyes. Close your eyes. Don't look at it because we're going to come back to it. I want you to look at the last part right there. It says that here is the patience and the faith of the saints. You see what he's talking about in that scripture? He's talking about these people, those that dwell in heaven. It was not people that were in heaven already, but it was the people that were on the earth who had their hope in heaven. And he was telling them, Sister Darla, to do what? To hang on to what? Patience and faith. Patience and faith. That God was chastising them, but Brother Carl, God was going to get them through it. Do you know a lot of people want to throw in the towel because you think God is angry with you and God's frustrated, Brother Brandon, come on, God's frustrated at you or something like that. It's not it. These temporary things that you go through, breakups with boyfriends and girlfriends and all this other stuff that happens all the time, these are temporary things. These are temporary things. They're not eternal things. Because you did not get the car you wanted, because you did not get the cell phone, oh my goodness gracious, because you did not get the job you wanted, because you did not get the house you wanted. And those things, if you're honest with me, listen, don't close me off just yet, but if you're honest with me, those things seem to kind of go right to the top all the time. They get top priority. And even sicknesses. And I don't want to burst your bubble, and I don't want to really bring you into a gloomy area right now, but we're all, we're all going to pass away unless the coming of Jesus Christ comes while we're here and alive. But we're all going to die. I'm not saying that, hey, everybody's ready to go now, all that stuff. We ought to want to fulfill the commission even more every single day. But every one of us, you know, the Bible teaches us in Romans 9, 27, that it's appointed a man wants to die. And what that means is it's not that, okay, Charlie, yours is, you know, six years from now and yours is 14 years from now. That's not what the Scripture's saying. What it is is that we're all going to die. But God's telling you in that scripture, just as sure as you know that it's appointed a man wants to die, 
after this, the judgment, that God's judgment is also going to come. That as sure as you know that you will pass away, you need to be assured also that you will stand before God. Either one day at the judgment seat of Christ or you'll stand before the great right throne of judgment. You'll either stand having your sins, what, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, or you will answer for your sins and die in your sins eternally. The Bible teaches us that. So we can't get away from that. We know that. We question that all the time. Everyone in here from the youngest to the oldest, we wonder where we came from. We wonder where we're going. We wonder what the meaning of life is. We wonder what purpose is and do all of these things. But you look at this, I want you to know that some of these things that you're going through are temporary. They may seem like they're never ending for you. <clears throat> they may seem like they're the biggest thing that you're ever going through. Man, it, it can be tough. It can be tough. I don't think it would ever be right that you would, always, that you would have to bury your child. That's, that's probably one of the most difficult things that goes straight to my mind. But there are people in our church that have had to do that before. There are many people that's had to do that before. And their patience and their faith as being a saint of God knows what? <clears throat> that it's just for a little while. At this church in uh, Walker's Chapel, his wife died. I don't know if you ever dealt with lovebirds and stuff. You know how one, one of them dies and the other one kind of grieves itself. And This little old man sat in the church house all the time. And he was just tore up. He was just beside himself. He just tore up and just would cry and cry and cry. And it wasn't shortly after that he went on. I've seen that time and time again, but listening to it from a Christian standpoint, you know what they say? Is that I'm going to see him again. And what they're saying is, is this is temporary. This stuff we fight about, this stuff you stress out about, and the number one prescription is for stress medications, that these things that bring us anxiety, this stuff is real. Nobody, I'm not trying to say it's not real. It's real. It's very real. But what's going on is, is that instead of, you got to get into the Word and you got to dig into the Word of God and go, Hey, Lord, I'm feeling anxious about this. I'm feeling, I'm feeling stressed about this. I, look, I'm stressed. Pastor, you get stressed? Well, I mean, well, as a pastor, I've only been stressed for 19 years. That's how long I've been pastoring. It does. But there's times where you go, God, I, I, I need your help. I need you to release this. I need you to help me. And God will show you some things. Listen to me. Some things that you're worried about, some things you're concerned about, they're temporary. Temporary things. I'm going to share this and I'm closing. You know, I had a friend of mine a long, long time ago. I, I, I've, I've done funeral services, Brother Butch, for caskets that were this big. Those are hard. I've done funeral services for a nine-year-old boy that had brain cancer. And uh, it just destroyed his body. And I, I mean, it, it, that's hard. That's tough. I've done them for 94-year-old grandmothers, grandfathers, 98-year-old man. And you go, man, what a long life. Praise God. And, you know, they were a saint of God and they got saved. I'll never forget, long, long time ago, someone told me as I did the funeral for their child. said, I used to come in the room all the time and I was mad. I'd get mad and scream and yell at them because their room wasn't clean. Any parent in here that do that, we do that. Oh, man. I just want to kick stuff around. And I mean, you got to. Man, now you kids don't. But when I talk to that mom, 
You know what was said? I wish I could go in there and tell them to clean their room up. Because that person realized afterward that that was a temporary thing. But the eternal thing were more weightier. They had more thickness, more glory to That argument between you and your husband, now some of you are looking around at one another going, hey, he's, he's reading my email this morning. No. That argument between you and your kids, all that stuff, you need to solve that temporary junk now. You need to solve that temporary, just goofy stuff. The anxiety that you carry, temporary, get rid of it. Throw it away, get it off, casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. And you need to go, Lord, today I'm going to start living my life with Skano on my mind with eternity a dwelling place in heaven and then what happens is, is you'll be like that little boy and you can feel it and it'll be tugging you might not can see it all the time but man Miss Darley you can feel it and it keeps tugging and tugging Amen. let me pray for you Lord as we do come to you this morning thanking you for your word I ask you God that you just please help us Lord, I pray for anyone, everyone that would come this morning if they need